a hundred professors that came to visit us with the VCs that uh, wanted to invest here or, you know, university experts and so forth that came. They all told me, Duran, you're wasting these 200 million. This can never happen. You're doing something that is impossible to do. Go read the books in physics, why it cannot be done. This is Unicorn Builders, where we tell the untold stories of the founders who've defied the odds and built billion-dollar companies. Here's your host, Brett Stapper, CEO of Frontlines.io. Now, let's jump straight into today's episode. Hey, everyone, and thank you for listening. Today, I'm speaking with Doran Weiserdorf, CEO and co-founder of StoreDot, a battery developer that's raised $200 million in funding. Doran, thanks for chatting with me today. Thanks for having me. My pleasure. No problem at all. So before we begin talking about everything you're building there at StoreDot, can we just start with a quick summary of who you are and a bit more about your background? Sure. So uh, I, have, I have a PhD in industrial engineering from the Technion in Israel, and I've been in uh, several startups uh, doing software, but also I was an executive at SanDisk, pioneering the uh, flash memory with solid state drives that we all have in our laptops. And about uh, 10 years ago, I started the StoreDot that is focused on uh, fast charging batteries. And looking through your LinkedIn, I see you were the co-founder and VP of business development of a company back in 1999 in Palo Alto. Is that correct? Yes. I was uh, living in Foster City for uh, 10 years and wow. I started a few startups at the time. Uh, yeah. One of them was uh, Siftology that uh, is uh, somehow still operating. And another one was Inner Presence, also in the security uh, cyberspace. So what was that like being in Silicon Valley back in the earlier or mid nineties, I guess, what was that like? Well, I've seen the bubble kind of, uh, really, you know, expanding and then contracting and it was, uh, it was really fascinating. You could tell the vibe of the economy through the, uh, traffic on the 101. If there's a lot of traffic and people are standing in traffic, you know, that the economy is good. If, if it takes you only like uh, half an hour to get from, let's say SFO to Palo Alto, then you know that something bad is going on. <laughs> I live in SF, so I'm going to go make that drive and we can use that as an indicator to see how things are today. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Now, a few questions that we'd like to ask just to better understand you know, who you are and what makes you tick as a leader. First one is what CEO do you admire the most and what do you admire about them? So I do like Elon Musk a lot, even though, you know, there has been some uh, controversial things that he's been doing with Twitter and the likes, but. I think the vision of you know, energy and mobility and space and humanity as a whole is, is really fascinating. And there's a lot to learn from the way that this guy thinks. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's you know, a little bit sad to see all the negative press about him and all the negative attention because obviously he does you know, some stuff that's controversial. But if you just separate that and look at him from an innovation perspective and an impact perspective, you can't argue that he's had such a massive impact on this world already. And he's still overall very early on in his career, I think. I totally agree. I totally agree. I mean, you know, when you're trying to do extraordinary things, uh, you need to do them in an extraordinary way. And he's an example of how these things are done. And uh, yeah, I totally agree with you. We have to separate some of the noise from the real value that uh, we're getting from this vision and innovation. Yeah, one thing that still surprises me with Musk is you know, all of the people who seem to doubt him. And you know, anything new that he starts, there's people who doubt him. And that's one takeaway I've had from you know, reading some of his or the books about him and just following him is 
don't bet against Elon Musk. It's probably not going to work out very well to bet against this guy. Yeah, yeah, I agree with you. What about books? Is there a specific book that's had a big impact on you? And, and this can be you know, one of the classic business books, but the ones that I find most interesting to hear about are the personal books that really changed how you think about the world or how you operate and things like that. So there is this book, it's called The Goal uh, by a guy uh, named Eli Goldratt. This book, I actually read it the first time uh, in my early school days at the university when I studied industrial engineering. And it's actually, it's a story. It's a story, but it's all about the business and how you operate uh, a factory and how people think about the way that they plan things and, and what is the critical elements in the uh, chain of planning. And then I think, and you know, I, later on, when I was also a professor for a little while, I gave my students, uh, you know, to read bits and pieces there and I actually asked them in, in the exam about the way that people operate the factory because it is a story, but it is also about human nature and how you can leverage this in the day-to-day -day operations of the facility or, or any business. Fascinating. I've not heard of that book, but I'll add to my Amazon cart after this call. Great. Now, I'm embarrassed to admit this, but I'll, uh, I'll say it on the podcast. I do have a, a big SUV, operates on gasoline. I want to change that. And uh, sometime last year, I was traveling and I rented a Tesla to give it a shot and see what it was like. And that was my first time ever driving an electric vehicle. And when I did that, I had to go to a charger station and I had to sit there for like 45 minutes. And for me, it just blew my mind how long that took. And for me, that was painful sitting there for 45 minutes. Now, I understand at StoreDot, this is a problem that you're tackling to make charging faster. But tell us about the product and what you guys are doing. Okay, so, but first I have a confession, because I also drive a SUV, a Subaru. We didn't have the, uh, when the time that I took that lease, it was two years ago, we didn't have almost any cars in Israel that, you know, I could actually drive as an electric, especially not uh, a 4 by 4 And I am looking for one uh, to replace that one now that the lease is, com is coming to an end, so... Very soon, uh, hopefully, I will also drive a, a green and clean uh, vehicle. But yeah, I totally agree with you. The number one barrier for adoption of electric vehicles today is the what is called charging anxiety. It used to be range anxiety. People were worried that they won't get to their destination. But now it became more exactly what you said. You don't want to sit for 45 minutes. 45 minutes actually not so bad. Sometimes people stay in line you know, for a couple of hours until there's an, an available uh, charging uh, station. I said, this is a real problem. So yes, Stodot is trying to solve this problem by the chemistry of the battery. Because the problem is that even if you had a very powerful charging station, like a supercharger of Tesla, a traditional battery that is based on graphite cannot really charge very, very fast in minutes because it's a safety concern. The graphite, which is the element in the battery that accepts the lithium ions to be stored, has high resistance and it requires a very slow insertion of these ions in order to preserve the energy. And what we are doing is we are replacing this element, this graphite, which is carbon basically, we are replacing it with silicon, which is a cousin, but a much faster and much higher energy element. And I know the company was founded in 2012. So can you take us back to those early days? What was happening there at the start? And, and what's really the origin story behind the company? So, yeah, I was actually uh, sitting in, uh, at SanDisk and looking for new materials that can actually improve the flash memory. 
when we looked at some research that was done at Tel Aviv University about new peptides, uh, uh, these are like amino acids, biological materials that can actually improve semiconductor as a whole. And there was a paper about this in Nature that really fascinated me. So we started uh, doing some work with the university. And then I said, you know, maybe we can actually use these materials in other applications such as displays, batteries, and semiconductor production, like locate materials for production of uh, chips. So we started the company and we got the first investment from Samsung. Actually, it wasn't about batteries. It was just about these new materials and how we can introduce them to various devices. Mm, got it. And then when did the idea come for batteries? At what stage in the journey? So we did in parallel uh, back in 2012, we did like five programs. One was displays, one was memory, one was locate materials. And one of them was fast charging of batteries. And, you know, I saw that, you know, I can charge a smartphone in 30 seconds. And this is the time when we've actually put online on YouTube at the time. And, and I had 50 friends on, it was the time and it was Google Plus. And I thought maybe I'll get 50 hits on this YouTube video clip that shows how I charged the phone in 30 seconds. It was like three and a half million in 24 hours. And this was at the time that not everybody were on YouTube, right? So this was really fascinating to see. And by the way, you can still look at if you look up on Google or on YouTube, 30 second phone charging with Stoddard or without Stoddard, it will show up. And this is just a fascinating vision of the ability to charge fast a phone. And this was also how we can charge fast a scooter or a drone or a car. And so back in 2014 is when we said, okay, let's forget everything else and let's just do fast charging of a battery. And later on, it became just the vehicle itself. And then who are your customers? Is it the vehicle makers themselves? So these are the end customers. So we yes, people like Tesla, but uh, obviously we are not Tesla and I cannot name all of them, but we have some car makers that are investors in Stordot, such as Mercedes, uh, Daimler. We have Ola in India. We have uh, Vinfast from Vietnam. Uh, we have uh, Volvo from uh, Sweden, also Polestar. We have BP from Britain. So there are many ecosystem players. Most of them, like you said, are car makers that are just looking to solve this problem of extreme fast charging because the chemistry of the battery today, which is basically, you know, the same one from like 20 years ago. And this was also the Nobel Prize in chemistry. The Nobel Prize only came in, in 2019 for Goodenough et al. Professor Goodenough, he came up with the idea of how you can store the lithium ions in graphite or in an active material. But so we are leveraging on this great innovation of the lithium ion technology, but replacing the materials so they would allow the fast charging in minutes of the entire vehicle. Wow. So charging in minutes? Yeah, in minutes. The product that we are shipping now, we call it 105. That's 100 miles for each five minutes of charging, 100 miles of range, yes, for each five minutes. But we are moving also to 103 in our next generation, which is 100 miles for every three minutes. And then we have the holy grail of 102. So at, at the end of the day, the experience of the charging will be exactly like fueling, only without the fumes, obviously. Wow, that is such a game changer. And what's the comparison? I, I know we talked about Tesla there a little bit at the start, but in general, what is the range for typical batteries today? So the average in the US of a vehicle, electric vehicle that is being sold is uh, 300 miles. 
And this is what we are target for. This is the sweet spot for most people. If they can do 300 miles, that's plus minus what uh, psychologically the anxiety goes away. Even though, by the way, I believe that you can live with even 200 miles and it will still be okay. Again, assuming that you have where to charge in minutes, then you have basically a, a continuous road trip and you don't need to worry about it. But 300 miles is the average today. And it probably depends a lot on where you live, right? If you live out in the middle of nowhere in like the, the Midwest of the United States, you probably need a lot more range than if you live in San Francisco or New York City. Exactly, exactly. And the vast majority of the people who are buying electric vehicles today are in uh, the West Coast. And that brings me to the issue of the cold temperature, because this is also something that we are working to solve and we've made much progress on. Is, you know, if you're at the minus uh, 20 Celsius degrees, then, you know, the whole battery becomes very slow, let's say. This is because the electrolyte freezes and then the whole movement of ions is very uh, slow. And so if you live, uh, let's say, in, in New York or anywhere on the East Coast where it's really freezing, then you have an issue. That's why less people buy vehicles on the East Coast. With our solution, this problem goes away. You can still charge in very low temperature as well. Wow. Fascinating. And what do you do to build trust and credibility with customers and really get them to believe in the product? Because, you know, this isn't a little SaaS tool or like a, a software widget that gets added to a website. This is serious technology that goes inside of the vehicle, it sounds like. So I imagine trust and credibility is extremely important and very critical to what you're doing. So what do you do to build that trust and credibility with customers? So actually for us, it's relatively easy because the proof is in the pudding and the pudding is the battery. If you can deliver a battery that has a data sheet as a specification, and you can demonstrate at the customer's site that everything that you said in this data sheet is actually validated on their premises, then, you know, basically this is where the trust is being built. And we've done it so far with like 15 car makers that have received the battery and they said, wow, okay, we thought it's impossible to do, but here we see it and uh, this is the pudding. So we have built trust over time, over the, over the last 10 years with a solution that we delivered that it was really considered impossible to do. Many, I want to say a hundred professors that came to visit us with the VCs that uh, wanted to invest here or, you know, university experts and so forth that came. They all told me, Duran, you're wasting these 200 million. This can never happen. You're doing something that is impossible to do. Go read the books in physics, why it cannot be done. But what they forgot is that everything starts with the materials. If you work on the material science of the solution, then you can basically break the boundaries of what is known to be possible. And this is exactly what we have done with the silicon solution. And for you as the you know, inventor here and, and as the founder, was that hard to hear, you know, to be told what you're trying to do is impossible? Did you ever have moments where you doubted it and said, hey, maybe these people are right? Or were you able to just always steamroll right through that? Okay, so here we can go back and talk about Elon, right? Because uh, like we said at the beginning, everybody told Elon that, uh, you know, he's crazy. We'll never get to Mars or we'll never have Solar City or we'll never have a cost-effective electric vehicle. So yes, sometimes there are doubts because you don't think that you are the only smart person in the room. That will be very vain. And so 
I did have doubts at some point that like the hundredth professor tells you the same thing, but I did have a gut feeling that they are all wrong. Because I said, if this is such a big problem for humanity to be able to charge fast because it creates the whole energy mobility transformation happen. And if this is such a big problem, and I already see in the lab a very good indication that this thing can work, then I said this gap has to be bridged with sufficient brain power and resources, getting the best people, getting the best lab, and giving them sufficient time, which took us 10 years, basically, we can break this boundary. And eventually this is what happened. Wow, that's amazing. And can you talk to us a little bit about adoption and are there any numbers or metrics that you can share that highlight some of the growth and traction that you're seeing so far? Yes, but we are still pre-revenue. So we haven't sold even one piece. I mean, I did sell samples and I do have some POs for uh, some of the uh, largest car makers on, on my wall here. And I'm looking at it now because I'm, I'm very proud to have those, but these are not in the many millions. The thing here is that it's like once you get the first platform, let's say a Volvo platform or a Mercedes platform, then the numbers are in the tens and hundreds of millions of revenue. But we are not there yet. We are still, a design of a vehicle takes at least five years. So even though our batteries are already uh, a year or more in testing, we haven't really identified the final platform that it will go into. And this might be a 2025, 2026 platform. So there are still a couple of years before we'll show significant revenue. This show is brought to you by Frontlines Media, a podcast production studio that helps B2B founders launch, manage, and grow their own podcast. Now, if you're a founder, you may be thinking, I don't have time to host a podcast. I've got a company to build. Well, that's exactly what we built our service to do. You show up and host, and we handle literally everything else. To set up a call to discuss launching your own podcast, visit frontlines.io slash podcast. Now, back to today's episode. And I'd love to talk a little bit about your patience as a founder, because I think a lot of founders struggle with being patient. And you know, you're 11 years into this journey. The timelines you just shared, those are you know four or five years, or I guess three or four years away from today. So you're able to be very patient, it seems like, with bringing this technology to market. How'd you develop that skill? How'd you learn to be so patient? So I don't think patience is the appropriate term. I haven't been patient. I have been pushy and I have been persistent. You know, at the end of the day, you do lose the patience because, you know, you have, uh, you're burning, let's say we are burning a couple of million a month on salaries at the labs. We have a lab also in Irvine, California, by the way. We have a lab here. We have a lab in China. We have a lab in Sweden. This is a lot of money. So you can't be patient. You have to push really, really hard for the progress to happen and for the solution to be a commercial. But it's true that you need to have a belief in your vision. And even if everybody around you kind of already loses it, there's one person who is the CEO that has to maintain this vision and has to believe in it and has to pull everybody to be aligned with this one goal to achieve this extreme fast charging. And it's not for everybody. Let me tell you this list. Some people, it's not for them because... You know, over the years, I've seen people come and go, even though the scientists, the key scientists are here, but people come and go because they cannot cope with this, I would say, long haul of taking such a groundbreaking technology to market. Mm, yep, it makes sense. And, and I can see that. 
Now, I know we've talked about a few things that are holding EVs back from mass adoption. So we'd mentioned range anxiety, charging anxiety. What else is holding it back, would you say? Are those just the two primary factors or is there anything else that's holding it back? No, there's, of course, uh, what we mentioned is the charging infrastructure. Because yeah. for fast charging to happen, you need the side of the vehicle, which we are taking care of. But you also need a very powerful charging station, at least 350 kilowatt. If you want to charge, let's say, a Tesla Model 3, if you want to charge it in 10 minutes, you need 350 kilowatt. And today, most stations are lower in power. We are talking 50 kilowatt, 100 kilowatt. We do see, you know, like from Electrify America and even from Tesla, we do see already 300 plus kilowatt, and this is in the right direction, but it will take time. At the end of the day, we will see very powerful charging stations all over. Uh, like for example, BP, British Petroleum, who invested in Stordot even five years ago, they realized that all their forecourts and they have 18,500 uh, you know, gas stations that they need to repurpose to be charging. Now, they understood early on that it has to be extreme fast charging in minutes. Otherwise, the whole model of the station, of the forecourt doesn't work. The real estate doesn't work. The retail doesn't work. I mean, you can't sit two hours and buy a coffee, right? So, especially not in the center of, of London or San Francisco or wherever you are. So, this is a mega transition for the infrastructure that it needs to happen and you need to remember that it's not just the station itself, right? You need to bring the power from the grid. So you need the power plants. You need the transportation of the electricity. You need the substations. Transformers need that are near those forecourts. So all this value chain of power uh, needs to be seriously upgraded over the coming decade in order for everybody to be able to charge in minutes. And what do you think the horizon is there for that to happen? Are we a decade out, two decades out, three decades out for us to really have that infrastructure in place and then have all the other technologies out there? So I think we can all learn from China here because even five, six years ago when I, when I was there in Shanghai, I already saw the plan at the mayor's office of all the extreme fast charging stations that they deployed. Now then, you know, the government decided there's the, uh, you know, the federal grid and then the municipal grid. Everybody is aligned because the government decided or the party decided and everybody is doing that and it can happen and it, it's already there. People can charge fast in China, especially that, you know, most people do not have uh, the ability to charge at home. They do not have a home. They live in a very large complex uh, of apartments. So there's no way to charge in the street or in the parking lot uh, fast charging. So China is actually ahead of the game in terms of putting together this infrastructure. But we do see movement, uh, especially again, led by Tesla for uh, superchargers around the world, by the way. And, and as we all know, they have opened it up uh, not only for Teslas, but also for other car makers. So that's a, a great step in the right direction. By the way, it will also allow them for nice income from uh, all the others that are charging on their network. So I would say it really depends where we are talking about. I think in the West Coast, it will move faster. I think Europe uh, will move slower. I think China is leading. I think India, it will take 20, 30 years. But I, I would say in the next decade, mostly in the US, it will have a sufficient volume for people to uh, be uh, very confident when they're buying an electric vehicle. 
And do you think we're ever going to get the point that to or that gasoline vehicles just go away? Like in places like the U.S., is, is that going to happen? Like, you know, will, will my kids or my grandkids, do you think, not know what a gasoline vehicle is? Or are gasoline vehicles always going to be there to some extent? I think they will be to some extent, but the whole transition will happen very fast because there is a tipping point. And they, you know, we can think about, you know, what happened to the film when you take photos with Kodak, right? So, you know, it took like two, three years where people weren't sure whether digital photography is good enough or not. And they were still buying the, so like myself, I had, you know, you were talking about the years of 2000. I remember that I bought in 99, I bought my first digital camera. It was a Canon, but I also had another Canon, which was film-based and it was huge and it was much better. And every time, you know, that there, I had something with the kids or we went out, I took my big camera and I didn't uh, use the digital camera. I mean, today it's not even an issue, right? So I think it will happen very fast because the tipping point is very close, both on the uh, price of the electric vehicle, also the experience of driving an electric vehicle. And also, uh, like we said, the charging infrastructure is there. And of course, what we are providing with the extreme fast charging is also coming very soon. So I think it will happen very fast and say 90% of the vehicles in about 15 years will be all electric. I think like say in 2030, about 50% will be of new cars. There's going to be still always, you know, on the fleet, cars that remain online, even though they cannot go into the major cities, like into San Francisco, but you can still drive out in, in rural areas. So mm-hmm. we'll see some of those, but I'd say... The vast majority, it will be more like a museum thing. Mm. But the, the vast majority will be electric vehicles for sure. So it'll be more like a collector's vehicle where it's like, hey, look at this thing. It's, it runs on gasoline and that'll be novel at that point. Exactly. And you'll have to have a special permit to own something like that. And it will be very expensive also. <laughs> wow. That's interesting. And, and certainly exciting to hear that the world's making that kind of progress. I feel like 10 years ago when you were just starting this, it was what? Really just Tesla creating electric vehicles? Maybe Toyota had, was it the the Prius or, or whatever their vehicle was? But there must have not been that many electric vehicles on the road back in 2012. Is that right? That's absolutely right. And to be honest, when we first started, I didn't think the solution would be for an electric vehicle. I was thinking about smartphone or a drone or something, you know, small. But once I saw that uh, the solution works, electrification in mobility is happening big time, then we shifted all the efforts to the vehicle because this is where we can be really a market maker as opposed to a nice to have the feature on the phone. And I'm sure for you as the founder too, just in terms of impact, that has to feel good, right? The impact of using this for vehicles and, and transforming the world that way is probably much more impactful than making cell phones that charge faster. Exactly. And then you mentioned the patience. So again, not the patience, but the persistence really is getting serious support from the fact that we know that we are doing something good for the planet. And this is true, by the way, for all the uh, employees here. We are, we are 130 people today. If you'll go and ask one by one, you know, why they are at Stordot and not the, in some other company is because they feel that they can make an impact on the, on the planet, on global warming, on the environment. And, uh, especially the younger generation, it's much more important for them than salary or, you know, a big vehicle or, you know, the prestige or whatever. They just want to make an impact. And I think this is, this is very, uh, very significant in the way that people think about the place of work 
uh, these days. Yeah, and I think every founder these days wants to have a mission-driven company. But a lot of times what I've seen is, you know, they say they're a mission-driven company, and then you look at their product, and their product is like a faster version of Snapchat or, you know, something along those lines. But it's not really a product that's, you know, going to transform the world and, and make the world better. But what you're building truly will. So I can see how that really motivates you and helps you get through that persistence. And then, of course, you know, with your team and everyone who works there, they're very motivated, it seems like, by that purpose that you have. Absolutely right. Yeah. Now, last question here for you, since I know we're running up on time. Let's zoom out into the future. So three or five years from today, what's Store.Dot look like? And, and what's that high-level vision that you're working towards? So the goal is really to be synonym uh, to uh, fast charging. So when people think about uh, charging in minutes, and uh, like I said, the, our product names are 105 and 103. So people know that if Store.Dot inside, like Intel inside, Store.Dot inside, you can charge in minutes. So when they go and buy the vehicle or they uh, you know, are interested in a new electric vehicle being you know, a Tesla or, or any of the other brands, they come and ask, is Store.Dot inside? Can I charge in minutes? And if people will ask that, you know, we did our job. Amazing. I love it. Well, we are up on time, so we're going to have to wrap here. Now, before we do wrap up, if people want to follow along with your journey as you continue to build, where should they go? So we have our website, but we, uh, I know I'm also very active on uh, LinkedIn and on Facebook because this creates a lot of interest around the world, uh, this solution, because it was considered impossible to do. So if you want to follow and see what we are doing, uh, LinkedIn or Facebook or Twitter is where we show the new things. Amazing. Joran, thank you so much for coming on, sharing your story, sharing your vision, and talking about everything that you are building. I really respect and admire you as an entrepreneur for embarking on this journey and really having a mission-driven company. And I'm rooting for you guys and really look forward to following along as you execute on this vision. Thank you, Brett. Thank you for having me and, and asking all these important questions so we can bring this vision to the world. Thank you very much. All right, let's keep in touch.